turn to Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians 5. And today we begin the second session of the series we started two weeks ago called War of Words, Getting to the Heart of Our Communication Struggles. We started that series two weeks ago. Last week we did not have the Discovering God Hour, this educational hour, because we had Ordinance Sunday, most of you know. We observed communion and baptism. But now today we'll pick up with that series then, second session, War of Words. And I'll tell you a little bit about what we covered two weeks ago, and then we'll begin the new material. But first I want to remind you about what's coming up. We've got uh, some things coming up in the life of our church about which uh, you need to be aware and uh, marking your marking your calendar going forward. Next Sunday afternoon at 2.30 at Huron Baptist is our what we call family meeting. It's our congregational meeting that we have once each quarter. So if you're a member of our church, that's for you, and we encourage you to be a part of it. Because we're having that next uh, Sunday afternoon, no community groups, our home groups, We'll meet that night. So tonight, no home groups because of Father's Day. Next week, no home groups. But two weeks from tonight, July 5th, those will resume. That's uh, the, 20, the 28th. And then uh, a few other items that are coming up. On July the, July the 8th, July the 8th is our second of three backyard fellowships on a Wednesday night. Wednesday, July the 8th at 6.30. And that's at the home of Todd and Deanna Robbins in, in Romulus. So just mark your calendars for that. And then two days later, on Friday, July the 10th, there's going to be a baby shower for Lena Hamilton. And Sharon Martin's going to have that over at her place in Brownstown. It's from 7 to 9 that Friday night, July the 10th. So ladies, mark July the 10th to uh, support Lena as she and Zach expect their first child. And the next day, July 11th, Saturday, all day, is the Challenge Cup. It's an outreach golf event that we have going on. And uh, that is, I think, all set, and we don't really need to do anything other than the people who signed up be there, we, th- we think. Okay. So that's July the 11th, and if you're not participating directly in that, pray about it, because it is an outreach event for us, and we have a number of guys coming who are unchurched or don't know the Lord, and their 36 holes are going to golf, but at the end of the first 18, uh, they're going to have a, a meal, but also they're going to have to listen to me for a few minutes. And so we're going to present the gospel to the guys who are there, and we've made that clear in the advertising that we've done for it as well. So pray about that. That's Saturday, July the 18th. And then uh, Sunday the 19th begins a... Uh, excuse uh, the, um, the 18th... All right, hold on, hold on. July 11th is the Challenge Cup. That's a Saturday. Okay, we're good with that. And then the following week, Friday, July the 17th, is the Fireproof Movie, and that will be at Allen Park Community Center. And there's an insert in your program for that, uh, and also the marriage ministry classes that we're going to have seven weeks following the viewing of that movie. So those of you that are married, uh, whatever your age, we encourage you to go to the Fireproof Movie uh, with your wife, make arrangements for babysitting that night, Friday the 17th, 6.30 to 9, if you can, and it's so important to us that as many people as possible be able to go. We're trying to provide some child care as well for you. So if you can't arrange your own, then we'll make sure we have some for you. Uh, there's a sign-up sheet for the movie and also for taking the seven weeks of classes that follow that that are on our information table. And one spot on there says, I need child care. So you can let us know about that. 
So Friday, July 17th, the fireproof movie. And then on the 18th, the next day, Saturday, is Madison Acres Open House. That'll be in the evening on that Saturday. And then the day after that, Sunday the 19th, starts seven weeks of classes for young married ages 20 and up to 30, and then 30 and above is in a separate class. But both of them will be doing the same thing. They'll be discussing for those seven weeks the concepts that uh, were presented in the movie that hopefully you will have viewed on Friday the 17th. Okay? It's clear to me. And you can read about it in your bulletin as well. All right, today is our second session on War of Words, getting to the heart of our communication struggles. It was two weeks ago that we had the first session because we had Ordinance Sunday last week. I'll quickly remind you as to what we looked at uh, last time, and then we'll look at uh, some new material then for today. In that opening session on War of Words, the case that uh, I made to you uh, at that time was this that we need to take uh, communication, this issue of communication, as seriously as, as God does. That was the, the first point that I centered on. Now, why should we take it as, as a serious issue, the way we use our words? Well, we need to take it as seriously as God does because the Bible teaches that the ability to communicate is a gift from God. We saw that in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28, at the very beginning of creation, God spoke to the first man and woman. And it tells us that God said to them. It's the first time in the word of God, verse 28 of the opening chapter, that you have, instead of God simply saying, let there be light, or God saying in verse 26 of chapter 1, let us make man in our image. And so the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are communicating with themselves, now in verse 28, for the first time you have, and God said to the creature, God said to the man, God said to the woman, and they understood what he said. They were made to communicate. They were designed, created by God, to receive communication and to give communication as well. And so we should take this issue seriously because the ability to communicate is indeed a, a gift. And I noted then, it's not only a gift in general, but it is a gift from God in particular. And because of the ability to communicate, to receive communication and to give communication is a gift from God, that means it's given with purpose. That God has given us this ability to know Him, to receive His revelation from us so that He gives us instructions about who He is and who we are and why He has placed us here. So that we can teach others to praise Him. So that we ourselves can praise Him with our lips. And so it's not just a gift, it's a gift from God. And that gift from God then, because it's from God, has purpose. It also has moral, a moral aspect to it. Each word I said two weeks ago that we speak carries moral freight. Some of you will remember that. Every word that you speak has an agenda attached to it, for good or for ill. Even stuff that seems like it doesn't have any agenda at all, like the weather report, you may remember from two weeks ago, has an agenda associated with it. Each word carries moral freight. And those words come from the heart, the Bible teaches. We looked at Matthew chapter 12, verses 34 to 36. Matthew 12, 34 says, Jesus says, Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
And so this issue of how I receive and, and give words has moral consequences to it. It's a matter of the heart. And that would all be fine if our hearts were moral. But our hearts are fallen. Jeremiah 17, verse 9, we saw two weeks ago. There Jeremiah says, The heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can know the heart? And so we speak out of hearts that are affected by by sin, tainted by sin. When did that start? When did this God-given ability to receive and give communication back in chapter 1 of the opening book of your Bible, Genesis, when did that become corrupted? Well, Genesis 3. And we saw Genesis 3 together. And it says there in Genesis 3, and the serpent said to the woman, and the woman said to the serpent, and they have a communication dialogue with each other. But now you have the voice of a foreign counselor that has come into the picture. Prior to Genesis chapter 3, the only voice they knew was the voice of their creator who gave them good counsel, gave them right counsel, right direction. I've made you to fill the earth and to subdue it. And now the serpent comes as a foreign counselor, a foreign voice, an outside voice to distort things. And he talks. And the woman listens. And the man sins, the male, by not saying anything. By standing there and watching the whole deal. And verse 6 of Genesis 3 says, And she took some and she ate it. And she gave it to her husband who was with her. There's Adam with her. I ain't saying nothing. Every time I talk, she smacks me. She can handle it. I know God told me to be in charge. I know that the whole, the whole uh, structure of the universe is in the balance in this moment, but I'm just going to shut up and watch it happen. So he sins by failing to speak when he was required by God to speak. And so now we are speaking and we are receiving communication through hearts that are tainted by sin ever since the garden and Genesis chapter 3. And so we receive counsel all the time. But now, after the fall, after the entrance of sin, that counsel is often false, erroneous, deceitful. And the serpent is still speaking. And the serpent is still speaking through a thousand megaphones. He speaks through the media. And he speaks through the guys at the water cooler at work. And he's speaking all the time, giving you a false view of yourself, of God, and his world. So this issue of our war of words, getting to the heart of our communication struggle, starts with taking it seriously. Why? Because it's a gift, but not just any gift. It's a gift from God. And because it's a gift from God, it has purpose, and it has moral freight that goes with it. And we have a battle going on within us, every last one of us, myself included, because our hearts are tainted by sin, and we receive false communication, and now we have to process, and we give false communication as well. Both of those are going on with us. And Jesus says it's a serious matter, Matthew 12. Because you will be judged, he says there, remember we saw two weeks ago, for every idle word you have spoken. So it's not okay to just spout off. You have to think about what you say and cultivate a heart from which 
what we say will be pure words. That's why in the, on our website, if you go to our homepage, right on the homepage, there's a graphic that advertises this series, War of Words, and it's got a picture of a guy and a gal, and they're at it with each other. Have most of you seen that? And then at the bottom, it gives a description of the class. And the last line of the description, I say there that this class will teach us, hopefully, to think, but then in all caps, think biblically before we speak. And that means, among other things, preparing hearts, out of which, the overflow of which, gives pure words. Now, what are some of then the implications of that? What do I got to do if all of that's true? And every last piece of it is true. Not because I said it, because it's what the Bible teaches about how God made us, about this gift of communication, and about how serious our words are. Now, what then are the implications of that? Well... I gave you a couple last time. It means a few things. One, that we need to censor the messages that we receive. And I'll talk some more about that then in a bit. Censor the messages we receive. Second, it means we must take responsibility for the words we speak. Censor the messages we receive. Take responsibility for the words we speak. Now, here's a third and a fourth that I didn't give you last week or two weeks ago. Third, we need to see communication as indispensable to love. See communication as indispensable to loving another person. The truth is, unless you communicate, you can't love another person as well as you should. And we'll talk about that in a second. See it as indispensable to loving another person. And fourth, if it's that important, if it's as important as I've laid it out, God really takes it seriously. Jesus is going to judge us for our words. It comes out of the overflow of the heart. Our words have moral freight. If all that's true, then fourth, we've got to teach our children to talk and to be spoken to. At the earliest age, we need to teach our children to be communicators. And I'm going to talk about that in a moment. So those four things. Censor the messages you receive. Take responsibility for the words you speak. See communication as indispensable to love. Teach your children to cultivate this gift of communication. Now, we started looking at some of those, those four things. The first two in particular, censor the messages that we receive. You say, isn't censorship bad? Uh, Depends on who's doing the censoring and what's being censored. No, all censorship is not bad. As a matter of fact, if you don't censor some stuff, how do I put this mildly? You're nuts. What, I'm just supposed to open my mind to whoever wants to fill it with whatever junk they feel like? I don't think so. And so I said two weeks ago, you know, when the commercial comes on and Crazy Eddie comes on to advertise his used cars, and he's yelling, and the volume, of course, is always higher for the... Eddie does not have the right to yell at me. I did not invite you into my living room, Eddie. And I have the power to turn it off. Mute it. And I will, and you should. 
You say, you know, I'm just watching my program, whatever it is, and it's okay. And I think if Jesus were sitting next to me, he'd be okay with watching it. Okay, let's assume that's true. But then there's all the advertisements in between for all the other junk, isn't there? And so I have to censor the messages that I receive. It means, so let me beat on that for a bit. It means I have to be careful. If, if I was made to communicate, and communication has moral freight, and communication involves both receiving and giving communication, and what I say comes out of a heart, then I've got to cultivate the right kind of heart. And watching trash doesn't cultivate the right kind of heart. Am I right about that? So I have to censor stuff. So I don't watch trash. And if I don't watch trash, it means I don't watch much. What? What? You've you got to go to the movies. That's just what we do every Friday. We go to the movies. Well, who says you've got to go to the movies? Now, you guys are all sitting there with your legalism sensors going off. Saying, now Brown's going to make a rule that nobody can go to movies. Well, Brown doesn't do that. I don't make the rules. God does. And then God says, you apply what I've told you. And you stand before God. My job is to tell you what God, the heart of God as best I know it from Scripture. And God cares about what you put into your mind. He gave you this God-given gift of communication, and so you don't cultivate a heart, a pure heart, by watching junk. But many of you have been doing it forever. It's just second nature. It's not whether we're going to go see something, it's just what's on. And because it's our habit then even if there's something on that Jesus wouldn't completely approve of, we still got to go see it because that's just sort of our habit. You know, I just say break that habit. And there might be from time to time something that's good for you to go and see. Then go see it. See, I don't have a rule against going to see it. It's just that you got to find that diamond. You got to go through a lot of broken eggshells and coffee grounds and watermelon husks in that garbage can to get to that diamond. If you were here during the 9.30 hour, I quoted a hymn that says, Is this vile world a friend of grace to lead me unto God? We know the answer to that. The Bible tells us the answer to that. Are you kidding? Does Hollywood have your best interest in mind? Does Hollywood have your children's best interest in mind? Do the network executives have your, you and your children's best interest in mind? Absolutely not. No way, no how. So be careful what you watch. Censor the messages you receive. Television? Movies? You've got to censor that stuff. Now, what principles would the Bible give me about censoring that stuff? I ask you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 3, Ephesians 5. Among you, 
Actually, I skipped the first word, but among you. You see, the, the but there is contrast. See, there's you and there's everybody else. There's you and there's the world. Chapter 4 describes some of the things the world does. Now you come into the beginning of chapter 5, but among you, in contrast to the world, among you who are imitators of God, verses 1 and 2, who are supposed to march to the beat of a different drummer, all that stuff. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity. Okay, I stop. So instead of using Hollywood's rating system, use Ephesians 5.3 as your rating system. Not a hint and no kind of impurity. Stick that up next to your DVD. And see how many things you start to censor. And Ken doesn't have to make any rule about it. You just got to look at what God says. Not a hint. No kind of impurity. But the truth is what we do is we excuse it and we rationalize it. It's not that bad. You know, I've studied Greek. And in the Greek, I can't even find the not that bad approach. Not a hint. Any kind. If you go down to verse 12, it's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. Shameful even to mention, let alone feast upon, give money to, use time to watch. So all the... So you're saying I gotta censor stuff. Exactly. You gotta censor what you watch. Turn to First Thessalonians. That would be turned to the right a bit. First Thessalonians, chapter four. Verse three. Well, you know, if it wasn't just you preach. Brown saying this. I mean, if God really wanted me to like censor and go out of my way to have rules about what I watch, and you know, if God wanted me to do this, then I'd do it. But I'm not just following your rules. Well, I'm trying to show you that it's not just you got to apply this stuff. And notice what verse three of First Thessalonians four says: It is God's will. So forget Ken's will; it's God's will that you avoid sexual immorality. Now, avoid. It's not saying it's God's will that you just don't engage in sexual immorality. It uses the word avoid. That is a word that is put obstacles to. You know, if I'm going to avoid the chasm that exists on the road construction and I don't go over the cliff because there's no more road there, then I'm going to have to avoid that. I have to go out of my way. I have to go around it. 
so that I don't hit it. And that's what verse 3 is saying. Avoid sexual immorality. Set up rules and obstacles in your life that keep you from going over the cliff. Now, I'll shut up here in a second. But you guys just got to, you have to be honest and say, 90% of what you're treated to on TV has got sexual overtones to it. Okay, 95%. Do I hear a 99? The only thing pure on TV is C-SPAN. But, you know, a, a high percentage of it has these sexual overtones to it that God tells us to avoid. Okay? Okay, so there's what you watch. What about what you read? So I want to drift off into a uh, world of fantasy and romance novels, and particularly ladies. The romance novels are the genre for marketed to our ladies. But in order to make it more acceptable, we've got Christian romance novels. And there are bunches of them out there, and some of you have them. And the idea is to escape into this, into this world of fantasy. Now remember, your communication comes from a heart that you cultivate, and we must cultivate a pure heart to communicate pure in pure ways. That means that we have to censor what we take in. What we watch, what we read, any of these things that create what I call a discontented heart. So, is there redeeming value in the soap operas in the afternoon? Is there like any redeeming value in that? I mean, I know enough about them. My answer to that would be no. Unless they've changed since the last time I saw them, there's no redeeming values to that, redeeming value to that. And so romance novels as an escape, the soaps as an escape, and you know what it creates is a discontented heart. Why isn't my husband like that? Why isn't my life like that? Did you ever notice that like none of the people on the soaps work for a living? <laughs> but they've all always got money and, and all that stuff. They don't work for a living. Why isn't my life like that? And it subtly creates this discontented heart out of which the mouth speaks. And you've got spouses, husbands and wives, that are being spoken to by their spouse out of a heart, and they're not even sure where the heart came from. But part of it is, it's a discontented heart that's been cultivated by the messages that we've opened ourselves up to from the world. Romance novels, the soaps, but men, you know, and this is one that I'm familiar with, sport, like sports talk, radio. You know, I like sports. I like to know what's going on with sports. So you would think I could just listen to something and get the scores and, you know, who's in the minors and who's in the majors and all that. But no, I can't just get that. I also have to have all the sexual in innuendo. I also have to have WDFN telling me constantly. They actually have an advertisement that says something like this. If you want to see babes wearing next to nothing without having to charge it to your credit card, go to our website. I just want the tiger score. But this is apparently what guys do in our culture. 
guys that haven't grown up like I talked about in the first hour. Not even a hint, any kind of impurity. Creates a discontented heart out of which the mouth speaks. And those unfilled expectations can rule our hearts. And those ungodly desires can rule our hearts. And then we have conflict. Then we have problems. Because we're not cultivating a pure heart. And what comes out of that heart in the form of our words are words that are discontented hearts, representing a discontented heart, and ungodly desires. Will you turn to James chapter 4? Those that are taking our Monday night class, we're going to spend some time in James 4. How to help others change. But verse 1 asks the question, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires, that battle within you? Well, where did the desires come from? You've already got a natural bent toward ungodly desires because you're a sinner like me. And then add to it, you cultivate those ungodly desires by what you watch and you read and you listen to. And then we're surprised that we're discontented in our relationships and that comes out in our words. Rather than cultivating a pure heart, I'm cultivating an ungodly, discontented heart. And so I have these desires. And as a result, we fight and we quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Now notice verse 4. Does God take it seriously? You adulterous people. What you're doing when you cultivate a heart like that, says James, is you're committing spiritual idolatry or you're drifting from the true and living God to another. Adultery. You adulterous people. You're cultivating a heart that's being presented to you by the world, verse 4. So don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? God takes how we cultivate our hearts deadly seriously. So what do I need to do? I need to, if communication is a gift from God to be used for His purposes, then I need to censor what I take in. Here's the second. I gave you four. Here's the second one. Take responsibility for what I say. I need to censor what I take in, but I need to take responsibility for what I say. Okay. I've got a heart that's being cultivated. I've got a heart that God calls me to actively cultivate in a pure direction. That's an ongoing battle for me. That's an ongoing battle for you. And because my heart is a mixture of spiritual and ungodly at all times, there are going to be times where I speak in an ungodly way. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when, not if, I speak in unchristlike ways, I have to take responsibility for how I speak. That means that I ask forgiveness when, not if, I say something cutting. 
I say something harsh. I take responsibility. I don't deflect. And when I say I, I mean us. I'm including myself in this. I have to do this. And it's a battle for me. And I know it's a battle for you as well. And so I have to take responsibility. I don't deflect. And so I don't say, well, it's because I haven't eaten anything. Or it's my time of month. Or it's, you know, the kids have been just driving me crazy all day. Now, all of those are factors that put pressure on all of us. But we've got a God-given responsibility. If we know we got low blood sugar, then eat something every couple hours so you don't bite somebody's head off. And if you fail to do that and you bite somebody's head off, then say this, I bit your head off. And that was wrong. Will you forgive me? And you say those words, will you forgive me? And then if you're the person being asked, will you forgive me, what are you supposed to say? Yes, I'll forgive you. So you need to take responsibility. That means two things, confessing and asking forgiveness. Confessing means not deflecting. The word literally means saying this, to say the same thing. You say what God says about it. It's sin. It's using my tongue and my words in an ungodly way. So say that. I sinned against you when I said you're an idiot. Or whatever it was. And then you say, will you forgive me? You confess, you ask forgiveness. Confess means say the same thing. So you admit, you accept responsibility, and you ask forgiveness. Three A's, that's a sermon. It's alliterated. Okay? You admit it, you accept responsibility, you ask forgiveness. And then having asked forgiveness, it's to be granted. And when it's granted, what is forgiveness? Forgiveness means... When the person asks you to forgive them, a warm, fuzzy feeling takes over your entire, entire body. And you now feel great about this individual who just read the riot act to you 30 seconds ago. It doesn't mean any of that, does it? It doesn't mean a feeling at all, as a matter of fact. Forgiveness is a commitment that says, I will not dwell on this issue any longer. And I will not bring it up to you in the future. When I say I forgive you, I'm committing to those two things. You say, you mean it'll never come up again in my mind? I didn't say that. I said you won't dwell on it. When you remember it, you put it away because it's been forgiven. The truth is, the Bible says that God remembers our sins no more. Do you think it's possible for God actually to not know anything? You know, he knows you did that. It's still available to him if he wants to pull it in. But God makes a commitment to not dwell on what he has available in his infinite memory bank. And that's the commitment you're making. When it comes up, I'm not going to dwell on it. So if I'm going to take this issue seriously, then I'm going to have to Censor the messages that I take in. I'm going to have to take responsibility for the way I speak. That means confessing and asking forgiveness. And we'll be done in just a couple of minutes. I've got two others, but we've got several weeks. 
But, you know, we could just stop here, and we will in just a couple minutes, but men on Father's Day particularly, who are charged with taking spiritual leadership in your homes, what are the chances that you would today, on Father's Day, say, you know, I want to start leading in a godly way. And I have been using my words in a cutting, unkind way to you. Or I've been allowing things to come into our home that I know we should not have in our home. We've got DVDs. We've got shows we watch. We've got stuff that we set aside time to watch. We go out of our way to say, I've got to get home in time to watch fill-in-the-blank, American Idol. You know, if you're going to have an idol, I prefer it be American. <laughs> you know, buy American on your idols. You know, I just don't. I'm just not into the idea of idols. Period. Of whatever type. Okay, don't get me started. But we got to be home to watch American Idol or whatever other reality nonsense is on or any of that. And you know, I've just come to realize that some of this stuff is just ungodly. And so we're not going to do it. And I want to take spiritual leadership in our home. We're not doing it. And I'm asking you to follow me in that. And I've used my words in cutting ungodly ways. Yesterday I said to you, and if you can remember some specifics, that'd be good. You know, you ask and you say, I said this to you, and I ask you to forgive me. And every time you do it, you do that. Now, men, I'm encouraging you to do that. Take leadership on it. Lead your family in it. Now, two other things that uh, we need to do if we're going to take this seriously. We need to see our communication as indispensable to loving somebody. If you fail to communicate, it's because you really don't love this person enough. To find out what they need. Find out what you can do for them. It's indispensable to loving a person well to know them well. Isn't it true for those of us that have been married for a while that there's a sense in which you can say you love your spouse more now than you did the first, the first day you were married? If you've been cult- that is, if you've been cultivating that relationship, I know you better. The more I know you, the more I love you, the more I know how to better love you before God. We need to see communication as indispensable to actually loving somebody. And then the last one, we need to teach our kids to be communicators. And that's one that's near and dear to my heart. I've got a whole diatribe I have on that. So we'll talk about that next week, all right? It's noon. We're done. Happy Father's Day, fellows. I think we have a book for you. I know we do. On your way out, either Measure of a Man or The Treasure Principle, whichever one you want, let's ask the Lord's blessing as we depart. Father, thank you for this blessed day and for the opportunity to set aside this day to celebrate fatherhood and the great privilege and responsibility that it is. And I pray that this day will be a blessed day for all the men who have taken on that important role. I pray as well for many of us that it will be a day of commitment as we decide that we're going to begin taking leadership in our homes in some of these very specific ways about what we watch and what we read and what we allow into our homes taking responsibility for the way we use this God-given gift of dispensing words in our relationships. Lord, we ask you to go with those of us who are going to family camp, 
grant us traveling mercies and a, and a good week together in you. And for all the responsibilities that are represented here this week, we ask you to go with each one and, and grant them the ability to carry out their responsibilities in a Christ-like manner. And Lord, particularly I pray for the seven families that dedicated themselves to the task of raising their children as you would want. I ask you to help them, Lord, to make good on that commitment. And I pray that starting this very day and going forward, that they will be very serious about, before you, raising their children in the way that you describe in your word. Lord, we thank you for this day, and we ask you to go with us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.